is in John chapter 10. We'll start at verse 31. As you're turning there, very quickly, um, Jesus has just made in the verse before the preceding verse a very bold and clear claim to his divinity when he said, I and the Father are one. And we'll pick up there. Verse 31. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Again they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. And our sermon text this morning is found in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, verses 18 through 22. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. This is God's word. Amen. Thank you, Justin. Thank you, music team. What a joy to sing with you. Good singing, church. Man, I felt some cool air down there. It's a miracle. What, I don't know who's ever prayed for that miracle. Thank you. Uh, they told me it was broken, so and it's working, so praise the Lord. So if you're looking for signs and wonders, church, here you go. Uh, but anyway, right. no, we're not that, so if you're looking for that, you're in the wrong place. Okay. Um, anyway. Not that God, God doesn't do signs and wonders at his choosing, okay. Uh, the hucksters today hadn't got that. So anyway, um, as I dig this hole deeper and deeper, uh, I'm going to, uh, okay. Today is what we call Covenant Sunday. Uh, I believe it's our 27th. Uh, we began in 1994 in the middle of the year, so we didn't have one that year. So our first one would have been in 95. So I think this is our 27th Covenant Sunday. For those of you visiting with us, what that means is we take one Sunday out of the year, um, and, and we, I struggle with what word to use because uh, it, covenant renewal, okay, maybe, the, but we have those that say, look, I, when I said I was with you, I don't need to renew. Okay, good. That's good, okay? But a reminder, a reminder of our covenant. So reminder, renewal, you choose your word, okay, uh, that fits you and, and your mindset. We read in the Old Testament of God's people often renewing their covenant. You know, Joshua led them to do that uh, when the temple was rebuilt. You know, uh, uh, Ezra they led them to do that. That We see it in the Old Testament. So because we are forgetful people, the Bible tells us that too, because we often forget who we are, we often forget what God has called us to do At once a year, Usually this last Sunday of September, we remind ourselves of our covenant with one another. Uh, so we're taking a break today from our current study of the names of Jesus and ponder together the importance of our relationship as church members, 
as members, yes, of the universal body of Christ, okay? That happened at salvation. But more importantly, we believe as members of this local body, because that's how we flesh out our membership in the universal body. I don't, I don't really care too much about someone who says, well, I'm a member of the universal body, but has not committed themselves to a local body where they can flesh that out with flesh and blood people, specific people in a local context. The New Testament, when it speaks of the church, the great majority of the time it's talking about the local church, okay? So that's the purpose of this Sunday, to remind ourselves of that, okay? If you're content just to be a member of the universal church, well, okay, I suppose I'll see you in heaven, but I want to encourage you today, if that's been your mindset, I want, I want to encourage you to rethink, rethink your position, okay? Because the local church is where we flesh out in real life with real people, sinners like us, broken like us, messed up like us. It's where we flesh out our membership in the universal church and make it real, Okay, so that's the purpose of this once a, once a year Sunday. Let me go ahead and confess, this is not going to be your normal sermon. If I, was in a, if, I, if I was in seminary and I was in a sermon prep class, uh, I would probably get an F in the sermon preparation class because I'm not going to, you know, exegete uh, a specific passage or teach on a specific topic. Uh, I'm going to share with you some random thoughts, biblically based, hopefully. If they're not, you can flush them. But I'm going to share with you some random thoughts about church membership, about our covenant relationship together, and the mutual life we share with Jesus at the center of it. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will use my words to encourage and edify you this morning. That's my goal, okay? Let's pray together. Father, I, uh, I offer these words to you, uh, feeble as they may be, and pray you'd use them in the hearts of my brothers and sisters here to encourage them. And once again, I pray that with, with everything in me, I pray that the words of my mouth and the, the corporate meditation of our hearts together would be pleasing to you, and it would be edifying to your church and to this local church for their good, for my good, for your glory. Speak to us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, random thought number one. I want to start with a note of profound gratitude. I want to start by saying how thankful I am to God for placing me right here, for placing me in this local body of believers. I'm very, very, very thankful to be in covenant relationship with every single member of Rockdale Community Church. It's a true joy to be a member, to be a member, to be a covenant member of this local body. I'm deeply grateful for the obvious commitment that the overwhelming majority of you have to this body. I pray daily for the handful of people whom we haven't seen lately, some for a very extended time, and I pray that they would re-engage with us or at least answer our attempts to contact them and let us know what's going on. We are not content, and we don't believe it's God's will to have simply names on a roll. From the beginning of this body, our commitment 
and prayer and design and hope was for a church of active, engaged members, committed to the Lord and committed to one another. I renew that for myself personally to you, and I'm so thankful to be with you. Secondly, I'm very, very thankful to be identified with the members of Rockdale Community Church as God's people in a real, solid, official way beyond just my saying almost as an afterthought that I'm identified with you simply because I'm a Christian. Now, let's not be mistaken. I am identified with every believer here, member or non-member, member or visitor. I am identified with every believer here because, because I'm a Christian. That is true. But that would be true if I were talking about believers in China, who I probably won't see before I get to heaven. But the commitment of my covenant membership at this local church shouts loudly and clearly, I'm glad and thankful that I'm a part of this specific, numbered, finite group of Christians. This defined, structured, objective, specific group of people known as Rockdale Community Church. I didn't choose you. God chose you for me. God knew that I would need you. And in love for me, he put you in my life and in my family's life. And I thank him with all of my heart. Number three, I'm very, very, very thankful for the accountability that comes with covenant membership. I'm glad that I'm not a solitary pilgrim traveling alone on the road to New Jerusalem. I'm happy to submit to my fellow elders, and I thank God for the spiritual oversight that they provide for my life. In our last elder meeting, I asked for and received positive, helpful, edifying feedback of the pulpit ministry. I thank God for that. I am so thankful to be not only in submission to my fellow elders, but as Ephesians 5 talks about in a very real, real way, in mutual submission with you as a fellow member. Remove the title elder for a minute. As a fellow member, we're to be in mutual submission one to another. How do we flesh that out? By considering others more important than ourselves. Philippians 2.3. By Romans 12.10, outdoing one another in showing honor. So I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that I can flesh that out with you. I'm thankful that I'm just not floating around out there being content with being a member of the universal church. I'm thankful to be here with you. Next, I am uh, very, very thankful that I can say in the spirit of King David in Psalm 16, verse 3, as for the members of Rockdale Community Church, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. I pray with all my heart that every member of RCC can say that. So that's random thought number one, my gratitude to God for placing me here. Random thought number two, I want to give you an encouraging example of, a, of light shining in the darkness. Uh, see, see, it has nothing to do with the first thought. F, F, sermon prep, F, big F, okay, totally, totally unconnected, but is connected, so you hang with me, okay? All right. I want to set the context for this second random thought. Last Sunday, if you remember, if you were here, if you remember, one of the names of Jesus we studied was the light of the world. He's the light of the world. And we added to that segment of the uh, message that Jesus told us that we were also the light of the world. Okay, with me? Those of you remember? Okay. And let me just specifically tell you what I said, because 
I doubt if anybody remembers it word for word. Probably not any, any words of it. So let me give you the words, specific words that, that I said that last week. I asked you a question. How do you see your relationship to the world? We're in it, but not of it, right? We are not to love it, right? I think 1 John 2, 15, we're not to love the world, nor the things of the world. Okay, think of that in terms of the identity Jesus gave us as the light of the world. And then I quoted Glenn Scribner. Light does not run from darkness. The opposite. Light, by its very nature, goes out from itself. It enters darkness to transform it. This is our calling as the church. We are light for the world. And then we added, the world is very dark. It's always been dark. Ever since the fall in the garden, ever since almost the beginning, it's been dark. But in our day, the darkness seems to have become bolder and more in your face. This darkness can be intimidating. Sadly, American Christians often seem to be afraid of the dark. But no matter how daunting or frightening the darkness becomes, our identity as the people of God has not changed. We are still the light of the world. It's what theologians call an indicative truth. Doesn't matter how you feel about it, it's just a statement of fact. You are the light of the world. Kind of like you are complete in Christ. There's nothing you need to add. Okay. Um, you are the bride of Christ. Husbands, you are the head of your wife. Okay. Indicative truth. You, you might be a blockhead, but you're the head of your wife. Okay. You can't get around it. It's, it's, it's not based on our feelings or our emotions. An indicative truth. We are the light of the world. This past week, the elders received this email from one of our members. Okay? Hi, elders. Don't you love that beginning? I love that. Hi, elders. Okay. How approachable can you get? I mean, come on. Hi, elders. Okay? I'm a part of my city's steering committee, and we are going through goals and policies. Diversity, no doubt, has been a part of these goals, and I've challenged our group to think practically about diversity. Just embracing diversity doesn't really mean anything to me. Amen. It's a fluff word, okay? Obviously, who wouldn't want to embrace diversity in its broader context? Sounds nice and fluffy, but I'm trying to have them think in terms of actionable items in a community context at large. Having said that, here was the question for us. Could you please help me reword this statement? And this was the proposed statement for this particular locality in this committee, the proposed statement for their community. This city, I won't name the city. You can try to figure, you can put on your sleuth hat and try to figure out who this is from, okay? But I'm not even going to name the city, okay? One of the localities around here. This city shall continue to encourage inclusiveness and embrace diversity. Now, in the context in which we live today, we all know what that means. We all know, and if you don't know what that means, then you're, you're totally out of the loop. You need, you need to get reconnected. You need to study, be like the, son, uh, the sons of Issachar who understood the times, okay? Here, again, here's the statement that the committee was putting before its members to uh, embrace and to approve for their city. Our city shall continue to encourage inclusiveness and embrace diversity. And then this fellow member said, encouraging inclusiveness could be a great thing for different people in a community to work together, but how could we reword embrace diversity 
from an actionable standpoint in a community. Thank you for your advice and leadership. And as I sat there at my computer before, within an hour, two hours at the most, every elder had responded. Every elder had responded to this question from one of our fellow members that we are in covenant relationship with, that we have committed to walk together with, that we've committed to support and, and encourage. With, within, it couldn't have been more than two hours, maybe an hour, we had, everybody had responded. And, and, and every, we, we built, it was beautiful to watch the teamwork in action as we built on each other's statement. So the, so the response was swift and encouraging, and with an hour or two, the, resulting in our suggestions for the rewording. Now, notice how these build on one another. This city, our city, shall continue to encourage inclusiveness and diversity in its workforce. That was one of the first responses, okay. Our city shall continue to encourage inclusiveness and embrace each person's individual strengths and abilities to better our community. Our city shall continue to be an inclusive community, embrace the uniqueness that each person was created with, love that, throwing creation in there, right? And provide equal access to opportunities for everyone. And then finally, these are all building. This is a team effort here. Our city shall continue to build a community that promotes mutual respect and inclusivity while embracing slash supporting each person's individual strengths and abilities for the betterment of my, our community. Result, here's the, last, here's the last email we got from this individual. They have agreed to update the goal based on the reasoning I included with the updated statement. It seems like a hashtag light symbol is appropriate here. Now, isn't that beautiful? There, there you go. As church members in covenant relationship with each other, we stand ready to help one another. And we eagerly support one another in being the light that the world needs. So, church family, as we said last week, God's plan is simple. Pray and live faithfully. That's the plan. It's not complicated. It's very simple. Stick with the plan and support each other in it. Stand with each other. Encourage one another. Don't be silent when you have the opportunity to shine the light. This individual could have been like probably sadly many Christians and just kept going, ooh, diversity. I really don't like that word, but uh, mm, I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to say anything. No, when you hear that, you shoot up the air of prayer. God, give me grace and wisdom to respond to this with, with love and grace. And that's exactly what this individual did. And they changed. It changed. The statement changed. Don't be afraid to be the light. As we've said many times in recent days, the days of the silent majority are over. In fact, that's I responded to that to the last email with hashtag no more silent majority. That won't work. That won't work. We'll, we'll just you'll just get we'll just get plowed over. We must speak the truth in love. Don't be silent when you have an opportunity to shine the light of Jesus. Be ready when your brother or sister calls for reinforcements and counsel and, and wisdom. Don't buckle to the world and don't bow to their idols. 
This is why we need each other. This is why we need to be in covenant relationship with each other. Keep your eyes on Jesus and press on. Together. Together. I pray that none of us will ever experience what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.16 when he said, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But even if that happens, hear Paul's words in the very next word, verse. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Spurgeon comments on that beautifully when he said, Faith is neither a coward nor a sluggard. She knows that God is with her, and therefore she does valiantly. God is with you, beloved. Do valiantly. His Holy Spirit indwells you. And through that ministry, Jesus never leaves us. But another way he manifests his presence to us is by us being with each other. When we're with each other, then there is more than one person that's indwelt by Christ standing together. And that helps us to be bold and courageous in this hostile world. Okay, praise the Lord. That was one of those high points uh, in, an, in an elder's life. I praise the Lord. Okay, shift gears one more time. And let's think about the corporate body for a little while. Let's see what time. I forgot to put my watch on, so don't usually like to have my phone in the pulpit, but there it is. Got to check my time. Random thought number three. The implications of Christ's promise to build the church. We sang about it. The church is one foundation, Jesus Christ the Lord. He's the foundation and the builder. He's everything. He's the cor- and he's the cornerstone of the foundation. Okay. So let's ponder this question first. Who's the most important individual in a believer's life? Well, the answer better be Jesus, right? I mean, it, not a hard question. Most important being in a Christian's life would be Jesus. If, if that's not the answer to that question, then you're not a Christian, <laughs> okay? Uh, most important being in an individual's life is Jesus. And I pray that the current study of his names is serving to exalt him in all of our minds and, and hearts and make him even more important in each of our lives. So having answered that first easy question, who's the most important individual, Jesus, that leads to a second question to ponder. If that's true, and and I pray and hope that it is, and I'm, I'm trusting that it is, speaking to believers now, if that's true, if Christ is the preeminent being in your life, then why wouldn't the church be the preeminent institution? Okay? If Jesus is the most important individual in your life, why wouldn't the church be the preeminent institution? Really, that's, it's a serious question. After all, Christ died for the church. He laid down his life for his bride. So if I claim to love Christ, won't I love those for whom he died? If If Christ is the most important individual, the the people that he died for then should be the most important humans in in my life. 
Secondly, Christ owns the church. He died for the church. He owns the church. He bought it with his blood. You could argue here, very validly, that the church is the most valuable institution on the planet because it demanded the highest price paid for anything, namely the blood of Jesus. In Acts 20, 28, Paul instructs the elders to, quote, care for the church of God, which he obtained or purchased with his own blood. So if I love Christ, won't I love what he owns? Thirdly, Christ is the head of the church. He died for the church. He owns the church. He's the head of the church. He is the leader, the boss, the supreme Lord of any endeavor regarding the church because Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. The institution that he heads must be the most important institution, right? Lastly, he is the bridegroom of the church. He died for the church. He owns the church. He's the head of the church. He's the bridegroom of the church. He laid down his life for his bride. If Jesus did that for the church, how can I ever claim to be Christ-centered and Christ-focused and Christ-adoring but neglect the church? How does that work? I don't think it does work. A third question. What did Jesus tell Peter and the disciples in Matthew 16? Remember that great chapter? You know, Jesus starts the conversation by saying, uh, well, who do folks say that I am? And the disciples respond, well, some say you're Elijah, and some say you're one of the prophets. Uh, some say you're John the Baptist. Uh, okay, but that's really not important, uh, Jesus says. Uh, next question, who do you say that, that I am? And Peter as usual, responds uh, for the group and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, Peter, and Jesus says, well, blessed are you, Simon, Bar-Jonah, for you didn't think this up on your own. You know, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And that's direct revelation from heaven, a foreshadowing of Peter's role as a Bible writer, direct revelation from God. Blessed are you, Simon. And upon this rock, upon this statement, upon this confession of who I am, I will build my church. I will build my church. Not, I wish I could build my church. Not, I will give it my best shot and wish for the best. Not, I'm going to really try hard to build my church. No, I will build my church. I who created the heavens and the earth. I who called the universe into being from absolute nothingness by the power of my spoken word. I who brings life out of death who tell corpses to walk out of tombs, and they do, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In our springboard sermon text, we, we, heard, uh, we heard Justin Ray, we see Paul commenting on this glorious action of Jesus when he says that we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Ponder that amazing text this week. 
were built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That's talking about this word. What the prophets and the apostles wrote. With Jesus being the cornerstone of that group. You only lay a foundation once. So there's no more capital A apostles. No matter how many guys call them that themselves that. Okay? They're the foundation. That's at the beginning. That's at the bottom. Jesus being the cornerstone of that foundation. We're built upon that. And we're being joined together. Joined together. How do you flesh that out? By just being content to be a member of a universal church and never really doing anything in a local church, really? Joined together. We grow into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What a verse. That's what Jesus is doing. He's building his church. So, this is a certainty. Christ building his church is a certainty, no matter what it may look like. Christ is building the church. He is constantly, consistently fulfilling the promise he made to Peter and the other disciples in Matthew 16. And when we join a local church and labor within that church and serve our brothers and sisters, we are instruments in Christ's hand to build his church. What may have seemed like a long shot to a bunch of ragtag fishermen, tax collectors, and nobodies 2,000 years ago has happened and is happening. Throughout history, even when the church seemed overwhelmed by the powers of darkness, she has survived and grown and spread all over the globe. Why? Why? Because the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the majestic and glorious perfect builder of the church, has guaranteed her success. Listen, every time we gather, whether it be Sunday mornings in Sunday school and corporate worship or Wednesday night, solid rock, kids rock, Bible studies, or small groups or youth retreats, etc., Jesus is working, building, molding, shaping, chipping away, etc. How do we know that? How do we know that? Because this book is always opened. No matter what the setting is, no matter what the meeting is, this book is always open, and it will not return void. It may not seem like it to the physical eye. We may look small and insignificant, and puny, and even pathetic to some. Our efforts may seem futile. But who are we trusting? Who are we listening to? The detractors? The naysayers? The whiners? The grumblers? The complainers? The people who are always giving excuses for not becoming a part of a church? Ourselves? Or are we listening to the king, our head, our loving bridegroom, and our master teacher who said very clearly and very concisely and very pointedly 2,000 years ago and still says today from this book, I will build my church. Yes, the bride may falter and stagger and stumble. She may look to the world and even to some professing Christians as puny and pathetic and not worth being committed to. Yeah, human beings treated you bad in your last church experience, so you're going to write off every other church from, from now on. Listen, aren't you glad Jesus doesn't have that mindset? Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't look at you and say, you know what, that Peter, that human being Peter, he denied me, he rejected me. And Judas, he, he totally betrayed me. And because they were human beings and because you're a human being, I'm never going to entrust myself to any other human being. Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't have that mindset? 
Aren't you thankful that Jesus doesn't have that mindset? So if you're, you're blaming your, you're not getting involved with the church on other human beings, then I encourage you with every love and grace that I can muster from my feeble fibers of my being uh, to rethink that thinking, to rethink that mindset. Because that was not Jesus' mindset toward you. He, he, he would have had every right to say to hell with all of them. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. He could have been justified in that and still maintain his holiness and righteousness. But he didn't. He didn't. He's building his church. He's building his church. She may at times be torn by dissension or sapped of her strength by doctrinal and theological apathy. She may occasionally be hampered by non-believing consumers who are only interested in what's in it for them. She may often be weighed down by Sunday morning only attenders who come to church to gain respectability or to check went to church off of their to-do list. She may be constantly infiltrated by tares among the wheat and goats among the sheep. But her march down the aisle of history will continue until she is gloriously and triumphantly presented to her bridegroom without spot or wrinkle or blemish holy and blameless. What a day of rejoicing that will be. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of that. Will you be there on that day? Will you be at the wedding supper of the Lamb? Are you sure? Are you part of the church that Jesus is building? Listen, beloved, Christ's promise to build His church is coming to pass. And this local church church made up of a bunch of insignificant, unfamous nobodies called RCC is saying, here we are, Jesus. Here we are. Keep building, please. Please keep building. You've got to do it or it won't happen. And for some reason that we can't seem to figure out, you like to use small, insignificant, imperfect folks like us. So here we are. Here we are. Please be gracious and use us for your glory. Oh, beloved, may we never forget. May we never forget on this side of the wedding day, on this side of that final day, the church is under construction. We have not arrived. We've not arrived. We're under construction. It doesn't arrive at completion on this planet and in this evil age. And like any construction site, you've been on construction sites. Some of you have built houses and stuff, and you, or you've seen construction sites. The surroundings are, are usually what? Pretty messy. The surroundings are not neat or impressive. There will be messes and waste and rubble and abandoned tools, and piles of unwanted debris. I was walking back in my backyard the other day. There's still a pile of, a junk pile from where they built the house 30 years ago, 40 years ago, whenever they built it. There's a pile of stuff they thought they covered up. It's, there it is. My point in, in saying this is this. If we focus on the mess, we can easily be discouraged. Messes are directly related to our sin nature. This is why we always need the gospel. This is why this church strives to be gospel-centered. We never outgrow the gospel. Ever. And the church of Jesus Christ, the local churches under his headship, are often messy because they are filled with messed up people like me, like you, who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. 
And we look, we look around, and that's part of the problem, right? We look around instead of looking up. But we look around, and we see sinners and hypocrites and unfinished people and imperfections and weakness, and we often become critical and unbiblically judgmental. What should we do instead? I suggest this. Instead of criticizing people who fall short of our expectations and are still, who are still being worked on by Jesus, let's pick up a hammer, put on our work boots, get a helmet on, and get busy on the work site of the local church. Get busy on the work site of the greatest endeavor in the history of man, the building of God's church. Yes, there will be struggles. Yes, there will be challenges. Yes, there will be discomfort and disappointment and heartbreak and risk and loss. But we press on with our eyes on Jesus, always remembering what the church is going to be someday, a radiant bride adorned for her husband without spot or wrinkle. So, when critics bail out on the church, Jesus just keeps building. (laughs) That doesn't stop him. He just keeps building. When self-centered individualists say they don't need the church, Christ says he doesn't need them either, either. Question, did Jesus ever chase after anybody that walked away from him, as recorded in the Scripture, ever? Did you ever see that? Oh, wait, wait, no, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean to be so harsh. No, John 6, when all those people left him. Well, okay, I'll soften the teaching on election. Rich young ruler went away and said, did Jesus chase after? No, Jesus never chased after anybody. He told the people who he was. He told the people the truth. And then they either responded or they didn't. So when self-centered individuals say they don't need the church, Jesus says, okay, bye. When consumers, self-centered consumers take up a space in the sanctuary, Jesus keeps loving and leading and gifting and empowering and using his followers to get his promised job done. When people are content to date the church, With no specific concrete commitment to a local body. Christ keeps the construction going. With those who have seen the importance of planting their flag in a local congregation. And saying, I'm with these people. I'm with these people. Until the providence of God changes that. Bottom line. Naysayers may predict the church's funeral. But God is planning her wedding. The Apostle John tells us about that in Revelation chapter 19, starting at verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of many peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. I'll close with these questions posed by Scottish minister Eric Alexander at a conference way back in the 90s, a conference about the church. He left the congregation with these questions. What is the really important thing that is happening in the world, in our generation? What are the really significant events taking place? What is the most important thing? Where do you need to look in the modern world to see the most significant event from a divine perspective? Where is the focus 
of God's activity in history. He answered those questions by saying this, quote, The most significant thing happening in history is the calling, redeeming, and perfecting of the people of God. God is building the church of Jesus Christ. The rest of history is simply a stage God erects for that purpose. He is calling out a people. He is perfecting them. He is changing them. History's great climax comes when God brings down the curtain on this bankrupt world and the Lord Jesus Christ arrives in his infinite glory. The rest of history is simply scaffolding for the real work. All these things that in, in the world that we think are so important, all these world events that we think are so vital, there's there's scaffolding for the real work. And one day God will pull down the scaffolding. And when you finish building a building, you, you, pull, you pull down the scaffolding. You eliminate it. You move it. You get rid of it. In other words, world history as we know it will be over. One day, world history as we know it will be over. And what will be left standing will be God's true masterpiece. The blood-bought church of His one and only Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And beloved, we are part of that masterpiece. And by God's grace, we get to live that out in this local body together. Together. Committed to one another for the glory of God and our mutual good. And so on this Covenant Sunday 2022, to my fellow church members, I ask you, how seriously do you take that calling? Our covenant with each other says loudly and clearly and without apology, basically this. We believe the church is the most important organization in the universe. Headed by the most important being in the universe. The undefeated and undisputed King of Kings. And we are thankful and blessed and privileged to be a part of it. So we present our bodies a living sacrifice to God and to each other at this local church for the glory of the head of the church, Jesus Christ, and the good of our brothers and sisters that God has graciously brought together in this place. We covenant to stand together against the onslaught of a satanic world system that hates each and every one of us. Here we stand on the solid rock of Jesus. We, we can do no other. May God help us as we help each other. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for my church family. Thank you for the blessing that they are to my life. And I joyfully remind myself and renew this covenant with them today. I pray that you would be pleased by our commitment to one another. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.